Hey everyone, welcome into the NKY Bracketology podcast. My name's Hunter, NKY Bracket Guy on Twitter, and I'm joined today with Michael and Zach. Um, we're going to talk some resumes real quick, um, and then we're going to get into some Final Four predictions, and then Bracketology talk and answer some questions. We got a lot of great questions today, so thank you to everybody who has submitted anything. Um, most of this is just going to be question-based today. Um. So with that, I will give just a brief overview of some bracketology, like verbiage and like that kind of stuff real fast, just so hopefully it'll help everybody understand just a little bit more of what we're doing and what we're talking about. Um, so when I say bracketology or we talk about bracketology on here, we're talking about trying to place teams into a bracket based off of resumes to project the NCAA tournament. There are a bunch of people, every major like media network has somebody that does it. And then there are a bunch of people on Twitter that do it as well. The best tool that you can use to see where your, the consensus is for your team is to go to bracketmatrix.com. And that has like a compilation of like 50 to 75 different bracketologists projections right there on one screen for you. So you can get like the consensus for your team. Um, so that's the best way to do it if you're wanting to get like a more realistic view and not just like one person's potentially biased view, especially if you're talking the ESPN or CBS people, um, they can be a little bit more biased towards their teams. Um, so I mentioned a team sheet, um, just kind of brief overview of what goes into a team sheet real quick. Um, it'll have like records on it. But then it'll also have metrics. So we talk like analytical talk. We talk about Ken Palm and that kind of stuff a lot on here. Um, you have different metrics that make up how um, everything is like kind of looked at. Um, so you have predictive metrics, which are going to be like your Ken Palm, your Bart Torvik, and that kind of stuff. Um, those are looking a little bit more outward. So it's not just a resume-based thing. They're kind of projecting who they expect to be the best team overall. Um, and then you have result-based metrics. So this is something like strength of record or um, KPI that we see on a team sheet. These are based off of what's actually gone on the, during the season. Um, these are a little bit more like, what have you done this year and not what will you do this year, if that makes sense. So those come a little bit heavier into play when we get down later into February and into March. But for now, a lot of bracketology uses some predictive metrics to help kind of guide where we think teams will land. Um, and then one final metric, um, the it's called the NCAA Net Evaluate. It's like evaluation tool. Um, it's a combination of a result and a predictive metric. And it is actually not a power ranking. So I know a lot of people see numbers and they want to say, oh, my team's number two. But that's not, not the net. Um, the net is there to sort teams into quadrants. So you have four quadrants based off of wins and losses. Um, quadrant one is split up into 1A and 1B. Um, quadrant two is 2A and 2B as well. Um, Quadrant 2's split isn't as big as um, 
quadrant one split, but those quadrant one A wins, which I'm pulling up the numbers here real quick, um, are the elite wins that you can get. The they're going to help your metrics the best. They're going to help really boost your resume. Um, so for quadrant one A, it would be a home win versus net number one through fifteen, a neutral win between uh, net one through twenty five. And an away win between one and forty. For quadrant two, A is sorry, quadrant one B is a home win between sixteen and thirty. Neutral is twenty six and fifty, and an away is forty one to seventy five. Quadrant two is two A is home thirty one through fifty five, neutral fifty one through seventy five, and away seventy six through a hundred. Quadrant 2B is home 56 to 75, neutral 76 to 100, and away 101 to 135. Um, So now we move to Quadrant 3 and 4. These are games that aren't really going to do anything to add to your resume, but they definitely hurt you if you lose them. Um, So Quadrant 3 is home 76 to 160, neutral 101 to 200, and away 136 to 240. Finally, Quadrant 4, these are more like your games that you do as like tune-ups in the non-conference. If you're a tournament team and you have multiple Quadrant 4 losses, you're going to have to really balance it out with Quadrant 1 and 1A wins to kind of get into the field. Um, So it is home 161 to 362, neutral 201 to 362, and away 241 to 362. Um. So, obviously, wins and losses matter the most, and on a team sheet, it actually shows each individual game and if they won or lost and the score. So, that's the most important part of any resume or anything is who have you beaten. But how do we know how good those wins and losses are? We have to look at metrics to help kind of guide that. So, the net is how the teams are sorted into those quadrants. And it really just helps us kind of sort teams into a better way to look at, oh, Houston lost to Iowa State. Their net number 10, that was an away game. That's the, like, one of the best losses that you can take if you're going to take a loss. Um, FAU, on the other hand, has two quadrant four losses already this year. Those are terrible, and that's really hurting their seating. Um. Finally, one thing that I wanted to mention um, before I open up the questions here is strength of schedule. It's mentioned on the team sheets as well, um, but strength of schedule is just how good your opponents are. Um, I'm not a data person. I can't explain to you all of these individual metrics in detail to make it make any sense to you all, but strength of schedule is how good of an opponent have you played this year. So, for instance, if we look at Arizona's strength of schedule – Based off of the net, they've played the number six strength of schedule in the country, and their non-conference strength of schedule was eight. When comparing that to Houston, Houston was 90th overall, and then non-conference was 160. So you can kind of see there's a big divide, especially before conference play really gets going on these strength of schedules. And that plays in when we're really like splitting hairs between some of these teams in bracketology. You have to look at, oh, Houston hasn't really played a great schedule, but Arizona has. And, like, you have to kind of evaluate that as well. Zach and Michael, do you all have any questions or anything you want me to answer? 
Well, I was just going to say that part of the reason why we, well, the main reason why we analyze resumes and whatnot is because unlike professional sports, like basketball, football, baseball, hockey, where in professional sports, teams play each other. So they all have pretty, pretty similar schedules and they're all kind of like in the same, like couple conferences in, in uh, college sports, especially basketball. There's 32 conferences that have different levels of like, not competition, but resources. So they're divided out in a way. So every there's only 32 games, 31 games in a regular season. So, and with 362 division one teams, everyone can't play everyone. So that's why we take all these schedules and resumes and look at each other because we can't just do a, uh, well, Iowa state is 12 and two. So they're going to be ahead of this team. That's 11 and three, even if the even though the 12 and two team has played a order schedule. So that's why we balance all this stuff out. Yeah. And that's also why we don't use head to head results or the eye test. Like people are like, Oh, Kentucky looks like they're the best team in the country right now. Yeah. That might be so, but they're playing one team out of 362 when we say that. So it's impossible for us to watch every single game from every single team. I wish that I had a way to watch all of the teams, but I, it's not feasible at all. Um, so we can't compare wins and losses. We can't use like the transitive property to like say, oh, Nor- Nebraska beat Purdue. They should jump up over Illinois who lost to Purdue. No, that's not how any of that can work. Um, you have to just kind of like look at everything in a bubble. And that's why you see a lot of people not even look at who you're beating, but look at quadrant records first. And that helps us sort teams into kind of groupings. And then we can go in and deep dive a little bit more. Yeah. So when you are evaluating a team, how much weight are you giving to kind of each of the factors that you that you mentioned like predictive versus uh resume yeah well it's so, like like what how much does like strength of record play in versus like a team's like average predictive rating yeah so i actually break it down i don't use any average predictives or anything like that because i don't I'm not a big KPI and BPI um, person. I feel like they're a little less accurate. One of the one of those is predictive, and one of them's uh, result based. So they kind of like cancel each other out. So those actually just get like a two percent weight for me. Um, I also weight Bart Torvik, which is another predictive metric that I don't know if it's on team sheets or not. Uh, I don't believe it is. It doesn't show up on the Warren Nolan site. Okay, I didn't think so, but I have the my like excel sheet pulled up the ones that so, show up on there are the the strength of record kpi ken palm the net obviously bpi yeah. and sagarin but we're not using that this year yeah he's not putting it out that's just pain um, yeah it is i liked i that was about 10 percent of my weight so since that one went away um we lost a metric this year so i added bart torvik into mine um i like his references and i feel like his results are pretty good so i use him for about 10 percent of my stuff um that is only for now that will drop off because that's a predictive metric um same thing with ken palm ken palm is a about 15 to 20 percent of my resumes right now but as we get closer and closer to the end of the year that falls down 
Um, like I said, BPI and KPI are about two and a half percent each. Um, the net ranking I have as 20% of a team's like team sheet or team score. Um, and then strength of record, which is a result based is 15%. The reason that I have it at 15% is I rank each team's quadrant wins. So I have quadrant one, a, you get a boost if it's a quadrant one, a win. And then I have quadrant one, two, three, and four. Um, so each team gets a point total for each category. And then I score that out based off of who has like the most. So right now, like Purdue has 49 points in their resume section. The next team closest to them is Arizona at 35. That's and then after yeah. that, it's Houston at 22. Uh, so pretty big, pretty big uh, differences. Yeah. Even just within like probably the, I'm assuming those are like the top seeds. Yeah, so I actually lied. Not going to lie, it wasn't um, filtered correctly. So Purdue's still at 49, 14 points ahead of Arizona, who's at 35. UConn is at 33. Mm. North Carolina is at 31. Mm. Wisconsin is at 31. And then Memphis is at 27. Um, And then so on. It gets really cramped after about seven or eight teams down. So that plays in – that kind of like grows. That's now 25% of my team sheets. So those teams like North Carolina, Wisconsin, Memphis, Tennessee are going to get a boost uh, compared to other teams who maybe are further down that list. So that is just going back to like strength of schedule and how good of a non-conference schedule these teams played. Um, Connecticut, North Carolina, Wisconsin all played a solid non-conference schedule. So did Memphis. And that really just helps boost your resume and your opportunities for wins. And obviously, you have to go win. I think it's also important to mention that, you know, when a team has has a quadrant one or quadrant one A win, you do have to look at who the win is against, because the way the net works is teams can kind of uh, beef up their their ranking with you know larger wins, even if they may not be representative as to how good, how good they actually are. Like for example, Saint Saint Mary's right now is a quadrant one A win for a team like. Uh, Boise State or whoever would have beaten them. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's as quality win as you might think because I think uh, Hunter would agree. Um, I don't think St. Mary's right now is is an NCAA tournament team. Not at all. They don't have a resume. They're not anywhere close. But they've done enough to help their metrics. Right. Same thing can be said about a lot of the Big 12 teams right now. So there's some flaws with the net. Nothing's perfect. I mean, it is what it is. The net is better than the RPI was, which was the old ranking system they used. Yeah. But um, it encapsulates more. It's a little bit more holistic. But nothing's going to be perfect. Um, and unlike in college football, the college basketball world uses the net ranking at the end of the season to actually seed teams. So Purdue can beat Illinois right now, and that be a Quadrant 1A win. And Illinois could go out and lose seven games in a row and fall all the way down to a quadrant two win. Purdue would get credit for a quadrant two, not a quadrant one. So that's very important to keep track of as we like get into conference play, especially with some of these like mid-major conferences that like the WCC or um, like the AAC, where those teams may just like fall apart during the conference schedule from a metric standpoint, just because of the competition level they're playing to now. 
Um, and that can really impact some resumes as we get closer to March. Um, and to just kind of tie up the end of what I was talking about with my team sheet, each team gets a total score. So ideally, you want to be as close to 100 as possible because I have everything weighted out of 100. Right now, I have two teams in the 94s um, and then one team at 93.99. Um, Purdue is 94.76. And then Houston and Arizona are within 0.2 of each other on the 94.1 for Houston and 94 point or 93.99 for um, Arizona. So that is very, very close. Um, there's a bit of a drop off after that for that fourth number one seed. Um, so that's not, I don't just copy paste my team total rankings in, but this helps me kind of group teams together on seed lines. And then I go through and like what we call scrub where I look at each team individually and I'll pull up both team sheets and I'll look at them side by side and make a like comparison and then pick the team that I want to be above the other. Um, only in this situation would head to head come into play. If Arizona and Houston are basically tied and like, for whatever reason they had played, then I would look at that when I'm making my decision, but I don't use that until that point. And also, the AP Top 25 plays absolutely zero role in any of this. I want that to be very clear. Nobody uses it for anything other than it's a cute little number beside your name when you play. All right, so the next thing we're going to move into is we're going to give some midseason Final Four predictions. Um, thank you to Gavin Benz. I mentioned him the other day because um, I was wrong about North Carolina. Um, he actually had a question that he wanted us to just give final four predictions. So we won't spend too, too long on this, but I'll let Michael start and we'll all give our final four predictions. Man, it is really, it's, it's tough to pick, pick even a final two at this point, let alone four. Um, Cause th there's so much inconsistency between teams and there's so many teams that look good now, but do you trust them in the NCAA tournament for different reasons? Um, two ones that I feel like I kind of trust the most are Houston and UConn, especially if UConn is healthy, which is a big deal for them. Um, it's probably never a great idea to pick a Big Ten team, but I guess I might pick Wisconsin as a third. Baylor is tempting, although I haven't always loved how well they played. Um... Why don't we go back out west and say uh, San Diego State gets back to the Final Four? Ooh, yeah. return to the Final Four. Yeah, who's winning it all? Let's say UConn repeats. What you just you just changed it from two weeks ago. You said Houston two weeks ago. Yeah, well, things change in two weeks, my friend. I mean, Houston took their first loss. Yeah. Somehow UConn has made it this far without Klingon. I mean, Klingon's been out for over three weeks now. And beating uh, Butler and Xavier on, on the road in that time, too, right? Yeah. Like, neither of those are good wins by a big stretch for a one seed. But, I mean, I, I was at the Xavier game. They looked – I watched them get beat at Xavier last year. 
UConn looked a lot better this year than they did last year. Zach, would you like to take it away? Yeah, so I have Houston, Arizona, Duke, and Auburn. Um, so Houston, we, you know, I think they're from, from a metric standpoint, they're the best team in the country. Um, that, that's why I'm picking them. Um, Arizona. Um, okay. So what I don't like about Arizona from a tournament perspective is the pace they play at. That speed can leave them vulnerable defensively. Um, and, like last year's team ran into a Princeton team that that actually dictated a, a different pace and that Arizona really struggled with that. But I like Arizona's balance. They're number five in adjusted offensive efficiency and number four in adjusted defensive efficiency this year um, per Ken Palm. And so I like that balance more than any weakness that they have. Um, I like it's it's really good. Um, not just looking at their their overall adjusted efficiency rating, but looking at the the offense and defensive breakdowns um, can help sort out like if a team is, is more of a complete team or if they, they're just, you know, really, really strong defensively or really strong offensively. Duke. So I think a lot of people wrote off Duke early in the season and probably too early. Uh, the, um, the youth was an issue, I think, in the first month. but And they dealt with some injuries. But since they've been healthy and probably in the last, like, three to four weeks, I, I think they've been a freight train. I'd, I'd be scared to run into them in the NCAA tournament. And then lastly with Auburn, they're a team I've loved for a couple of weeks. I was kind of surprised. Uh, they wound up in my top 25 in a really good spot. And then since then, I've had to pay more and more attention to them. Um, and yeah, their, their metrics just couldn't be ignored. I will say I watched some of the Texas A&M game for them. And I think a lot of SEC teams have this problem of like, they're really good defensively but the offense can just fall off the map like really quickly. Um, So I will say that would probably be one weakness they have, but I I think they're a really good team. I think Bruce Pearl's a really good coach and um, the, the metrics, the metrics are there for them. I love that you went with a metric pick there. Um, I don't agree, but I like it. I think Arizona, this year they seem to have done a better job dictating their pace. Mm -hmm. I don't love that they played down to Stanford like they did, but I can definitely see where you get Arizona. Um, I like Arizona. I like the way they play. Um, I just, I don't know. 
Yeah, my biggest concern with Arizona is the recent tournament experience. Uh, same with Tennessee. Same with Purdue. You know, we'll see. Yeah. So I noticed none of us picked Kansas. Nope. <laughs> I'm impressed. Didn't even think about it. Why not? Just this the like every game just feels like a struggle, and in previous seasons when the, every game has felt like a struggle for them, they tend to go out in the first couple rounds. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't feel like a good, like a good, you know, I mean, they're a good team, obviously, but something just doesn't feel quite right. And, you know, they shouldn't have lost to UCF playing what their first or second game of upgrading from the AAC to the big 12. Well, yeah. And I mean, UCF isn't even a tournament team right now. Like they're not on it's not like that was like a acceptable win. Like that was awful. I mean, we're, they're like on the UCF is like on the NIT bubble. Yeah. Um. And they played down to Yale. They played down to Eastern Illinois. Like they're it's a pattern now, and it's not a good pattern to have. Yeah, Eastern Illinois might not, might not even make the Ohio Valley Conference tournament. Yeah. They didn't last year. And they struggled mightily with. Um, Eastern Illinois at like in Kansas, right? So that's a big issue to me. And they probably and Kansas probably should have lost to TCU too. Yeah, it just feels like it just feels like if they didn't have that home court advantage for a lot of their games, m- more than more than usual, and more than a lot of a lot of teams this year, they would be they would have probably two or three more losses that they wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah. They would have absolutely lost to UConn on a neutral court or at UConn. Yeah. But I, w- I will say props to any Kansas fans that are listening to this. You all show out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you all have made Allen Fieldhouse the hardest place to play in the country. Absolutely. And it's genuinely a home court advantage that has to be considered when picking games and looking at Kansas. And I like the way they schedule too. Yes. They yes. they are I, definitely one of those teams in the Big Twelve, uh, which we'll cover later. But they are definitely one of those teams that their um their metrics are much more. There's a lot more beef behind their metrics than some of the other Big Twelve teams. Yeah, the problem is now that there's a lot of like now that there's a lot of data to look at with Kansas, their net is 16. Like, they're starting to slip a little bit. Their strength of record is 7, but they're not in that, like, elite of the elite category. Right. And Palm's actually predicting them to lose a handful of games in the Big 12, which is different. That's a different than last year kind of thing. And I do want to point out, UCF was a quadrant one loss. It's not like that was, like, abysmal, unacceptable. Like, it was a quadrant one road loss but UCF is 74th in the net. So that's going to yo-yo back and forth between a quadrant one and a quadrant two. I don't think it'll stay quadrant one. I would expect it to be quadrant two. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to point out, I think I said that it was unacceptable, and it is, but it's not like it's FAU losing to Bryant. Bryant or Florida Gulf Coast. So I just wanted to point out, like, it wasn't that bad. So we're back with some bracketology here. Um so I just have a couple of notes that I want to talk about. Um, 
we're going to get into a lot of this with questions because a lot of this is Big 12 related, um, strength of schedule. But one thing that I really struggled with this week, um, I put out a bracket on Friday. I think we're here for Monday and Friday bracket updates for the rest of the year. So a couple weeks early, but there's been just carnage the first couple weeks of conference play. So I struggled with Arizona and Houston. They're both one seeds. It's clear they're both one seeds. I couldn't pick one to put above the other. Um, Arizona has better wins, but they also have that bad loss to Stanford. Uh, Houston, they have four quadrant one wins and they have a road quadrant one win, but there's just not a ton on their resume yet. And they did just lose to Iowa state. So I picked Houston to stay above Arizona, um, mainly off of predictive metrics. And we're talking Houston's number one, Arizona's number two. And a lot of the predictives, it's not like they're one and 10, like it's a splitting hair situation. Um, I turned to strength, the record strength, the record does have Houston above Arizona. Um, So I left it like that for now, but that's a very volatile position back and forth. Um, My next kind of trouble spot was UNC, Kansas, and UConn for the final one seed. Um, You could throw Tennessee in there. I think they're still just about a half a step behind the other three. but Especially with the loss to North Carolina. Yes. And Kansas. I was going to say they've lost to two of the four teams that we would have been considering. So I did not consider them as much. Um, Kansas did beat UConn. I know I put UConn at number one right now. And then Kansas at number two. Um, UNC is my number five overall and Kansas is number six overall. So I, Kansas's metrics, like we talked about are starting to slip a little bit. Um, Their net and some of their predictives are in the teens which still an elite team, just not as good as UNC or UConn right now. Um, so I left UConn, UNC, Kansas in that order, but those three are highly volatile with the round. The, the Kansas-UConn debate is just brutally tough. Like, just looking through it, I mean, so UConn and, and uh, Kansas both, if you take the, the combined resume metrics, they're the same. Yeah. Um, the Nets, I mean, UConn has the advantage there. Um, and you know, fourteen and one to two losses for Kansas. Kansas has the home win over UConn. It was a close game. Um, UConn is five and zero oh in quadrant one, but only one of them is 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 a quadrant one A, which is North Carolina. Kansas is only two and two in quadrant one, but both wins are quadrant one are, are quadrant one A. So it's it's like <laughs> it, it could really go either way. So I agonized over this for about half an hour i sat there and just went back and forth i messaged with a couple of different bracketology guys and nobody had a consensus there was no oh you're missing this or anything like that it is almost the exact same resume if you said oh kansas has the head-to-head i would be okay with that but i didn't because it was a home game it wasn't a neutral site and it was a close game I like the net. Like, I'm using the net a little bit because I believe the committee uses the net. And I bumped U- uh, UConn above for the net. Um, UNC is a fun one to, like, kind of evaluate. They've got three quadrant one road wins back to back to back. Um, they've skyrocketed from, like, a five seed all the way up, four or five seed, all the way up to, like, my one seed conversation. It's crazy. They've just really come on strong since conference play started. 
problem is only one of them, I think, is, is a tournament team, and that's Clemson. I don't think Penn yeah. and NC State are in right now. Uh, neither are in. Both would be 10 ish spots out. Maybe yeah, five. I don't think Pitt's even close. In fact, I think on my, um, on my bubble watch thing, I think I have Pitt in the fringe bubble category, not even on the bubble. That would probably be, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to move to my three line now. Um, Baylor and Auburn. Um, we talked about Auburn a little bit with the final four picks. Um, Baylor, they're both kind of similar. They have a head-to-head result, so that is why Baylor is above Auburn right now. I don't like either of them being on the three line, but their metrics are just too good to ignore. Um, thankfully, we're going to get to find out what these teams are made of sooner than later in conference play. But um, – Right now, I have them as three seeds. I don't know if I like that, but that's where they're at for now. And that's largely predictive metric-based. With that, after the three line, things become a lot more murky. Normally, it's like six or seven that I start to get murky on. But the only team that I really know for sure that I like on the four or five line is Dayton. Um, I moved them up to a four seed after last night. Um, I like that. And... I like the way that they're playing right now. Holmes is playing like a first-team All-American. I will, I will say if you want a dark horse, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not even that dark horse, but Dayton is is a potential Final Four team. Yeah. Just yeah. like the three-point shooting is off the charts. Yeah, they, I watched, I mean, I've watched a lot of their games. Them being a local team, I try to keep up with them a little bit more. They look good. They lost um, point guard to injury the first game of the season. I kind of like, I don't want to say panicked on them, but thought that that would really hurt them. But they've just, they're so talented. Um, kind of pulling for them as 2020 was supposed to be their year, but obviously that got kind of shut down. So I would love to see them do something crazy and make a Final Four. And they definitely have the talent to do it. Um, I have Kentucky and Duke on the four line right now. Um, Like Zach talked about, Duke's kind of rolling. Kentucky, kind of similar. They're just, they're plowing through their schedule right now. Uh, I want to see both of them build a better resume before we end up there. Um, The one team that I would probably drop some is San Diego State. Um, I have them as my first four seed. I don't love where they're at right now, but um, like I said, you could, do any number of different maneuvers for these teams, and I would be okay with it. Is it kind um, of the lack of, of quality wins or quantity of them? It's a quantity thing, yeah. Um, obviously, they beat um, Gonzaga. We would love to sit here and say that that's a great win and means so much. It doesn't. It, they're not great. It's still a quadrant one win, but it's not a great win. Um, outside of that, they did lose to Grand Canyon, um, which is a quadrant one win, and they lost to BYU. Grand Canyon and BYU, I think, are both a little overhyped. Yes, those are road games. They'll probably stay quadrant one, but I don't think BYU's the top, like, elite team in the country like the metrics say they are, so I expect that one to fall a little bit. Um, outside of that, their other quadrant one win we already talked about this team is St. Mary's. So they've beaten St. Mary's and Gonzaga. Neither of those two are great wins. Um, so they'll they have might, they might not even have a win over a tournament team as of today. They don't. Yeah. Um, 
I I have San Francisco as my automatic qualifier for the the PC. So St. Mary's and Gonzaga are not. They have two losses to tournament teams, which is good, but that's all. Yeah. Um, they are in New Mexico tonight uh, at the pit to play a game that's vitally important for them. Um, if they don't win that, they'll probably fall a seat line, if not a little bit more for me. Um, and then finally, one more thing on the five seeds. I have Marquette as a five. I manually adjusted them down a little bit. They could have been at the bottom of my three line, and I would have been okay with that. But they've got injury issues. They've played down to opponents. They lost at home. We spent a good deal of time on Tuesday talking about them. I'm not loving where Marquette's at right now. I I need to see them actually go out and put some wins together um, with the injury concerns and stuff in Big East play. See, I would still have Marquette a little bit higher, either around the four line, maybe probably not the three line anymore, but they do still have three quadrant one wins, and all of them are quadrant one A, Illinois, Creighton, and Kansas. So like I said, that was a manual adjustment where I went against what my numbers were telling me because I'm worried about injury. Trust the numbers. No. (laughs) We have too much trusting the numbers now. i got to look at teams. Okay, okay. I mean, we let Zach put Iowa State at number two. We've got to do something. <laughs> hey, you, you, you all will see. You all will see. That oh. they, they are the second best Big 12 team and the second best team in the country. I mean, I can't argue with that right now. They did beat Houston. <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely... Hey, they finally beat somebody at relevance. <laughs> yeah, they be a really, really good team. Now do it again. Yeah. Away from them. Yeah. <laughs> they will win the Big Twelve, and you guys won't. Iowa give State. Them any? Yeah. If they win the Big Twelve, I'll give them plenty of credit. All right. So we've got Zach. He's now picked Iowa State to win the Big Twelve. All he's right. No, no, no. This is not an official Big... prediction. And he picked Oregon to win the Pac-12. <laughs> Talk well, about Oregon, Oregon Light. Are we doing Vanderbilt for the SEC or what? <laughs> no, I already put out my SEC prediction and my Big Twelve prediction, and I am sticking with those. And it's just—it's too easy. Vanderbilt might not win the MEAC right now. Oh, yeah, that's bold. <laughs> that's a bold statement, Mike. But I might agree with it. I'm exaggerating a little bit, okay? We we understand. It's it's fun to banter. In in all seriousness, yeah, I I think that that win for Iowa State was validating, but they they do have a lot more to prove. Well, their home court's elite. Like we talked about Kansas as being elite. Iowa State's is also very difficult to go play in. So that's I mean, that's a good win regardless. Yeah. I will say Vanderbilt being at five and ten and two forty six in the net is probably one of the bigger surprises of the season, considering how Vanderbilt closed last season. Well, they were a sleeper pick to maybe make the tournament. Right. Like I'm not saying I had them on my like bracket or anything, but they were one of those picks where hey, they might sneak up on people. Kind of like a Boston College, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not even going to try to get into the bubble right now. Um, I will say that Michigan State is an 11 seed and playing in Dayton as of this morning. I don't, they're, 
wild inconsistencies with Michigan State right now, they're going to be all over the bubble, I think, the rest of the year. Well, um, fortunately for Michigan State, the schedule really kind of starts to work in their favor after the recent two losses. Yeah. Um, they have Rutgers and Minnesota at home. They have Maryland and Wisconsin on the road. Wisconsin's going to be tough, but I think they'll be favored to win the first three that I mentioned. Then they got Michigan and Maryland at home, Minnesota on the road, Illinois at home. They might be favored in all four of those. Illinois, that's going to be a kind of a close one. Penn State, yeah. Michigan on the road. I think for sure they'll be favored against Penn State. Michigan, who knows where they're going to be by then. Um, Michigan's going to win the Big Ten. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, and Iowa and Ohio State, they have at home. Purdue's on the road. Good luck with that. Uh, but they got Northwestern at home and Indiana on the road. They got a good chance to go 12-3 and three in that stretch and be well into the tournament by then. Yeah. The thing that I want to see from them is just actually go out and put the results together. Right. Um, they've had stretches where they look good, and then they've had stretches where they look bad. And it's just – it's too up and down. Um, I'm not saying they won't make the tournament, but that's a bubble team type of thing. Right, right now, yeah. Yeah. It, it yeah. is it is weird. Like, you know, they have a Hall of Fame head coach, but the inconsistencies the last three or four years have just been head scratching. Like the again, there are times where they're playing like the best team in the country. They're an absolute freight train for like two or three games. And then they just they go out and lose to like, I don't know. Like three or four years ago, they lost to Virginia Tech. Yeah, and it's like, why? How? And it wasn't a very good Virginia Tech team, if no, I remember. No, they were like bottom three or four in the ACC That's that right. year. That's right. Yeah, so that's going to be Michigan State's going to be one of those fun teams to watch the rest of the year for sure. Um, moving on, Texas and Cincinnati. I wanted to touch on them. They played this week. They're both in Dayton for me right now, playing in those first four games. I have Cincinnati slightly ahead of Dayton, or Texas because the BYU win holds that much metric weight. I don't know that either team's actually good, though. We saw a good game, but I don't know that either team's actually a good team. So those are two to kind of watch. Um, also, on the first four line, I need to give Butler a little shout-out. Um, I was pretty down on Butler this year. Thought they would be um, really fighting with like Seton Hall and DePaul and Georgetown. Obviously, DePaul's way worse than we expected, but Butler's done really well. That win at Marquette this week really helped solidify their spot. They're still in the first four games. They're not like crazy high, but they did pick up two more Q1 wins last night with Boise State and Texas Tech both jumping into the quadrant one. So if I did a bracket today, they'd probably be a 10 seed. But that's like we talked about. That's going to fluctuate throughout the year. The hard thing with Butler is they're three and five in quadrant one now. That's eight quadrant one games that, that they play, which is good. But at the moment now, there's no games that they played in, in quadrant two. And they only played one in quadrant three, which they won. Yeah. They got six quadrant four wins. So they're four and five in the first three quadrants. Yeah. And I that's a better record than some have that we're talking about. Yes. The bubble is ugly. And that the win at Marquette just really solidified 
what I needed. Really to, like, like, give them a not stable footing, but they've got a spot in the bracket right now for sure. Um, I can't think of anyone anyone around that range of bubble bubble first in first out or just in further that have as good of a win as winning at Marquette. Yeah. And at this point, even a win over Boise State on a, on a neutral court, which right now is pretty important. Yeah. Um, so they're definitely right there along that bubble line. Um, speaking of Boise State, they went to Nevada last night and beat them. Nevada was an eight seed. That is a quadrant one win. That is a great win for Boise. They were fourth out coming into last night. It's very possible they're now my last team in the bracket right now. I had Oregon, but I don't like Oregon there, and that's a big win for Boise. So they're right on the bubble of maybe being that last team in, first team out kind of thing. One thing that Boise State now has that Oregon doesn't have is wins over teams in the, that are certainly in the tournament right now. They now have at least two, Colorado and Colorado – I'm sorry, Nevada and Colorado State. And Oregon, I don't think they have any wins against teams that are in the field right now. They don't. So that's why I'm kind of like, that was, they got shoved there, but I didn't like them being there, if that makes any sense. Yep. Somebody's got to win in the Pac-12. I'm picking Oregon to do some winning, and that's partially why I had them there. Um, Boise has one solid tournament win. I'm not going to give Nevada a solid in the bracket right now, because I know some people have them on the 11 line. So they may not be as solidified yet as we want to talk about. Finally, before we move on to the questions and answers, I wanted to mention Gonzaga. Gonzaga, for the first time that since I've been doing this, is out of my bracket right now, and they're not in the first four out, next four out category. They are going to need the automatic qualifier to get in, and right now that goes to San Francisco. So that is weird to say. I don't know that it'll pan out like that, but Gonzaga's got a lot of work to do. This this Gonzaga team reminds me a little bit of so we remember how Loyola Chicago had like those two really good teams where one went to the final four and the other one went to the Sweet Sixteen. The year after the team that went to the Sweet Sixteen, they had a team that was pretty decent, but you could tell that were struggling game in, game out to get wins. And finally, you know, they kind of turned it on a little bit at the end of the season and got to the tournament where we're a ten seed, but they went out right away to Ohio State. Yeah, kind of how this year feels for Gonzaga. Yeah, so I we need to keep an eye on Gonzaga and what they're doing because that's going to be important to watch throughout the year. Um, thank you to everybody. We've got a bunch of questions this week. We appreciate every single one of you. If it doesn't make it on the podcast, it's just we're not making this a two-hour podcast. So I've picked some fun questions, um, and I'm kind of just we're going to gloss over a couple because there's a lot of Big Twelve questions. Um, so I will start with at Bracket Stats LLC. It's John. Um, I interact with him a ton. Um, he asked what this feeling was for Auburn. I think we talked about it. I have him as a three seed right now. They could jump to a two seed if they go out and win the SEC. Um, Zach had him picked as a final four team. They're feeling the world right now. Auburn just needs quadrant one win. So far they have zero. They need to go out and prove it. Yeah. Um, so I think we can move on from that one just – we already kind of talked about that. Um, T3 Bracketology. So I will officially announce that T3 is going to be on here. Um, one of our episodes here coming up, the first episode of February is going to have T3 on here. Um, super excited about that. He's going to be our first guest. 
he kind of like helped me along last year when I first started doing this publicly. And I'm super excited that he's going to come on and give us some of his time. So look for that at the beginning of February. Uh, we're all super excited to have him. Um, first question from him. He has three. Uh, what's a low major team that you think could be this season Cinderella? 13 and plus seeds, kind of more of that like one bid league type of thing. Zach, do you want to start us? Yeah. So I'll give two. Um, Grand Canyon. Um, they've just, I think they've, they've done really, really well. Um, there's still a little bit of things they have to prove. Um, but beating San Diego state that, that definitely helped. Um, and then I will pick whoever wins the summit league. Um, South Dakota state is, is really, really good. I think they, they missed a couple opportunities against uh, Mac teams, but then they just beat St. Thomas, Minnesota at home a couple nights ago. Um, and then St. Thomas, Minnesota, they, they took Marquette the distance. Um, and they've played well. Okay, I should say they won't make the tournament this year because of an NCAA rule. But um, they will test whichever team does make the NCAA tournament out of the Summit League. An additional test beyond like Oral Roberts or South Dakota State or um, sometimes North Dakota State is is really good. So yeah. I think the, the Summit League is is one to keep an eye on. I would agree with that. Um, South Dakota State, though, is a 16 seed. So you heard it here. Purdue fans, you better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> could they could they be a 15 if they, if they like, rack up, um, you know, maybe just go, like, one loss in the conference? In theory, yeah. That, um, or, like, if certain things happen, like, in the conference tournaments, like, yeah. you know, if anyone other than McNeese wins the Southland, they're in the playing game. Yes. Yeah. I do have South Dakota State in the playing game right now, but they would be the first team to get bumped out of that. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah, it could happen. Colgate, though, is on the 16 line as well, and I would see them jumping first. Man, that is weird to see them on, a six, on the 16 line. It is weird. I don't know. Go up and down. Yeah. It's odd. All right, Michael, who do you got? So I think unless Grand Canyon loses three or four games in the WAC, I think they're going to be too high to be a 13 or below. Um, Yeah, I didn't get into that too much, but they're a little bit higher than what. If Grand Canyon gets through the WAC with only one or two losses and they win the, the league, they're going to be an 11 seed. You know what? This question was not fair. I'm not a bracketologist. We didn't give you any crap. We just let you do it. Okay. <laughs> it was the right pick. Like, that's what he was wanting, was a one billion. Um, so but, you did right. But Charleston is a possibility. Although, again, they could end up getting bumped up to a 12, but they could also be a 13. That's where most people have them right now. Um, UC Irvine is another one that's possible. Um, somebody that comes out of the big sky, if it's, if it's like, uh, Weber State, or if it's Eastern Washington, yeah, that those could be dangerous teams. We've already seen Weber, uh, Weber State beat uh, St. Mary's. 
yeah. in a was it Morego? So that's possible. It's all. It's usually the one that does it is the one you never see coming. Yeah, and I'm sure that's how to be this year. I'll give two. Both of them are on my 13 line right now. Uh, McNeese State uh-huh. and Liberty. Liberty plays a fun brand of basketball. They're not as good this year, but they just that the way that they play kind of allows them to get streaky and maybe win a game or two. Uh, McNeese State has just looked really good this year, and I wouldn't be shocked at all if they go out and win a game. To note, I left Indiana State and uh, Grand Canyon and James Madison off of this consideration board um, just because they have the potential to be kind of out of that 13 down range. Uh, So I left them off. All right, so who's a team that you all wish you could rank in the top 25? For me, it's Nebraska. For you, it's Nebraska? Um, I'm going to think about it for this week's, but maybe Auburn, like I want to rank them. They look like one of the 25 best teams, but they need a quadrant one win. And pretty much everybody that's in the top 25, I think, except maybe for Princeton, and I'm giving Princeton their credit for winning all their road games and everything. Um, it have won at least a quadrant one game, if not more. Yeah. So I don't know. I'll have to look at that again for Monday. Zach? So I will say Memphis, um, they've kind of, I had them as like my preseason number five or somewhere around there. Um, and they've kind of fallen off the last three weeks or so. They've, they've flirted with the bottom of the, the top 25, made it in, fell back down. Um, I just, I I need them to start improving in conference play. I they've just struggled with teams they they shouldn't be struggling with and that will move them further and further down if things continue and teams you know really start stacking up big wins. Yeah. I so I I want it to be Memphis but I, I need to see more from them um, in terms of just really starting to dominate their opponents. Yeah. Memphis is going to be a fun one to watch throughout the year. They're a three seed right now, but they don't have a ton of good opportunities left. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tough road for them to stay up that high. It's pretty much just the FAU games. <laughs> yep. Well, and those don't look great either. Not right now. All right, so favorite college basketball mascot, Michael. Ah, man, I, I wish I paid more attention to to the mascots. Um, so everybody needs to send their favorite mascot in under this, so Michael can see more mascots. Yeah, right. The the I gotta say, South Dakota State's Jackrabbits are pretty cool. Fair. I like it. I, I will actually say. The Northern Kentucky Norse. <laughs> hey. um, I I have a history degree, um, and I really like like medieval European history, and so I think you know I think I think it's a cool mascot. Um, don't think there are any other Norse in Division One, so I think yeah. I think it's cool and unique. 
big Norse guy. Um, so I will give two, a primary and a secondary. First, I'm a huge penguin fan, like the animal. So Youngstown State has always stuck out to me. Mm. Uh, won't go any further than that, but I've just, I like that there's a penguin mascot, to be fully honest. So happy, so, happy feet, huh? Happy feet. <laughs> um, second, the blue blob is an awesome mascot. Um, not many people know it because it's the, it's Xavier's secondary like mascot, but it's awesome. It's on ESPN commercials. We're big blue blob people over here. Um, okay, so T3, thank you for your questions. That was great. Um, Justin Kosia, I know I botched that, but he asked, um, it was Justin Kosia20 on Twitter. Um, he asked if FAU is closer to the bubble than we may be willing to admit. Bubble, no. Are they much further down the bracket than we wanted to say? Yes. They're not Cinderella team. They're not the darling team this year. They've struggled. They've got two quadrant four losses, but they've got a handful of really good wins. So they're going to stay in the bracket for now unless they really start stacking more bad losses. Um, I don't have them like in my top 25, and I don't think I have them even like you know the first five teams out. So, you know, at I, I think at best I'd have them maybe like around a seven seed, maybe closer to an eight at this Look point. Look at you. I just – I have them on the seven to eight line. So that yeah. was a good I just uh, – you know, the Arizona and the um, – what is it? The Texas A&M wins are good. So is the Butler win. Yeah. But Florida Gulf Coast and Bryant and, you know, Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte's not bad. But still, they're not a tournament team. It's not like they're good. And you know, they 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 really should have lost to uh, Tulane. And Tulane in in all in all the other games they played against, you know, good teams. I don't. They haven't even been close to winning. Yeah, Tulane was ridiculous from three, though. I mean, yeah, they ran into a buzzsaw of a hot team that night. To be honest, Tulane lost to Mississippi State by thirty. They lost to North Texas by fourteen. You know, but. The, the better teams that they've played, they've lost by double digits. So to, you know, for, for FAU to only win by a point on a controversial call at the end, you know, is not encouraging. Yeah. And that was the right call. Um, one of the bracketologists I interact with is a ref as well. Not a, I don't think he's a collegiate ref, but he said that the defender was in the cylinder and he hit his arm. So the leg kick, even though it was there, probably happened after the arm hit and knocked him off balance. Yeah. So that was the right call. I was mad about it originally, but it was the right call. Uh, so moving on to AJ Armento 03. Um, he's a repeat question. I love, he hits us with a bunch of questions. Um, he said, who do you think will be number one on Monday? AP poll wise, it's UConn. For me, I have no idea. I Yeah. UConn plays this weekend, don't they? Yeah, they play Georgetown. Okay, then they should be ranked. <laughs> unless, uh, unless, unless Georgetown, yeah, maybe if Georgetown goes out and gets uh, Patrick Ewing for a day <laughs> and rewinds his talent back about thirty years, you know, that's fair. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's UConn. Zach, what do you think? So I think Purdue will stay the number one team um are you saying for your metric or for your like 
I, I think they'll be for uh, oh okay so for the AP yeah I think Purdue will stay the number one okay for my metrics um it'll probably still be Houston the gap yeah. between them and everybody else was pretty significant a four point road loss won't change that I don't think that's fair. So, does Purdue have a case to remain as number one? I think yes. I mean, we all mentioned them. Um, they're clearly the number one seed in the country right now. Their resume, like we talked about, is just too good. Um, so, we'll go on from that. Um, and then his final question, do you think the losses from one, two, three, and five teams in the top 25 impacted seeding at all? Um, and those, yes. those teams were, what was it, um, Purdue – Houston, Kansas, and who was the other one? Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. Um, so, yes, to an extent, it'll impact seeding. Um, Kansas fell with that. But other than Kansas, none of those were really terrible losses. Um, Tennessee stayed down on the two line. They didn't jump up. Um, but the other losses weren't super hurtful by yeah. any means. Anything else you all want to add? No. No. Um, at Scott Steinman, um, I interacted with him a lot. He's a UC fan. Um, so I'm going to kind of read off a couple questions here because they're all Big 12 related. Um, and then Reckham Matt was the other one. These two both had um, Big 12 questions. So Scott said, could every team in the Big 12 make the NCAA tournament except for West Virginia and Oklahoma State? And then he said, is BYU in the top half of the Big 12? And then Reckham Matt said, feeling in four for the number of teams getting in the Big 12. Zach, would you like to get us started with the three? Yeah, so I think just briefly, because we've covered it in other podcast episodes, but there's the Big 12 from a metric standpoint looks really good, but it could evaporate very quickly in Big 12 play um, just because we they didn't play a very tough like the conference as a whole did not play a very tough non-conference schedule um so i think we're going to find out who the um who the contenders and who the pretenders are uh in the next couple of weeks Who up foo fighters <laughs> yeah um i don't think that every team in the big 12 could make the NCAA tournament um uh even even beyond just West Virginia and Oklahoma State. Um I think that some of those teams like Iowa State, Texas Christian, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, um, Brigham Young, they they will some of them will, you know, prove that they belong and others are just going to get they're going to get flattened by like Houston and Kansas and some of the other teams that that we've already kind of mentioned are like not locks but they they are tournament teams yeah um and then so yeah out of that group um i'd say probably three or four for sure make the tournament, but we've seen the big 12 just 
eat up even some of its better teams. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a tough conference to play in. Um, and I think, yeah, like I said, we'll we'll quickly see who who's for real. Yeah, I I I, I mean, I sure I, I suppose it's possible that you know every team except for Oklahoma State, West Virginia could get admitted, but I I I don't see it. Um, just looking through the entire conference, the only teams in the conference that have multiple quadrant one wins are Kansas. Houston and Baylor. Everyone else um, from Texas Tech to Oklahoma to Cincinnati, BYU, Texas, Iowa State, UCF, BYU, they all have won. Kansas State has yet to play a quadrant one game. Well, and several of those one quadrant one wins are against other teams in the Big 12. Yeah, right. Um, And I think I think I mentioned this in a, in a previous episode, but because of their lack of getting quality wins in the non-conference and scheduling the opportunities, they're all going to have to go a lot of them, not all of them, but the teams that we mentioned, TCU, Texas, Iowa state to a degree, BYU, um, Texas tech, Oklahoma, they're all going to have to go nine and nine plus, you know, one and eight to get a bid. And that's almost, it's hard to see, but I mean, Cincinnati and um, BYU have already lost a home game. Uh, Cincinnati did kind of make up for it by having previously beaten BYU, but we'll see. So, somebody's probably going to have to win a, win a game on the road and take, take care of business at home. Um, I know there's kind of the question about, you know, the ceiling and the floor as far as like how many teams that the league can get in. Um I'd be very surprised if there's less than if there's less than six, but I'd also be surprised if there's more than ten. At this point, I think more likely we'll probably see six, seven, maybe eight. Yeah, I was gonna say seven and ten for the ceiling and the floor. Um, I like. I don't see UCF, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, or West Virginia really doing enough to get in. Kansas State's the only one there that could, and. They're, like we talked about, unproven, but they've got three quadrant two losses already. That's stacking up a lot of not bad but not good losses. Um, So I really don't know that they're going to be able to do enough against some of these top teams to get in. The resume metrics are 41. Yeah. so Which is not bad. That's pretty good. That's a bubble but, team, for sure. Yeah, but having a net of 77... A strength, their current strength of schedule is 213 because they haven't played many Big 12 teams, and I think one of them was West Virginia. So, Yeah. And one thing to point out with the realignment this year, the bottom of the Big 12 is worse than yes. it was. Yep. That being said, it's not all due to realignment. I mean, right. West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State aren't as good. Yes. All three of those were there last year. Right. Um, I think that we really need to like start talking about – getting to 500, like Michael said, in the conference. Everybody can't do that. So it's going to be really interesting to see who comes out and actually does win. Um, is BYU a top half of the Big 12? I don't buy that yet. Yeah, I don't either. I think they were hyperinflated from a metric standpoint. I think we'll see them fall. Yeah, I I think so as well. I think 
Cincinnati and Texas um, are playing off of BYU just by like the way that the wins worked. But I don't know that BYU is actually that good. I mean, if Cincinnati didn't have that win over BYU, they would be out. Yep. And Texas didn't have the win over Cincinnati, they would be out. So I think you're seeing a real like domino effect with those three teams right now. And as BYU drops, that could really hurt Cincinnati and Texas. BYU is at UCF today. They better win it. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, they'll have Iowa State at home. That's winnable. But then they're on the road to play Texas Tech. That's a very tough place to play. They get Houston at home. You better find a couple wins in the next four. Yeah. At least. Yeah, they're going to have to pull off some stuff that I don't think they can do to be a top half team. So we'll see. I do think they're a tournament team. I don't know how high of a tournament team, though. That's going to be the hardest part for them. All right. So our last two questions, Bballma 00192920, who should I root for in the Pac-12 now that UCLA has hit rock bottom? Oregon. UCLA on Tuesday. I'm going to tell you to root for Oregon because I know you're not going to root for Arizona. (laughs) I, yep. I'm going to tell you Oregon as well. Oregon's got a shot to make the tournament. They're in my bracket right now, so we'll roll with Oregon. So our last question, um, College Hoop Top 50. Um, I think I've cut out a couple of your questions, so thank you for continuing to submit. This was a great one. I wanted to save it for last as, like, kind of to wrap everything up. Um, which team that has recently seen its hot streak dented are you most buying as a squad, which will get back on track to emerge as a serious force in March? And then he gave Wake Forest, BYU, Colorado State, and Utah. So I'm going to say Wake Forest is a bit behind those other three. Um, so I'm going to cut them and say that they're kind of on the bubble, and I don't think they'll be a serious contender. Um, I don't buy BYU, so we've already talked about them. Um, so I'll leave Colorado State and Utah for mine. Um, I'm going to pick Colorado State. Isaiah Stevens is just a dude. Like, he, he should go out and be able to carry the team. Um, so I'll say Colorado State, but I could see Utah doing it as well. I, I also would go with Colorado State. They were actually a team at, along with San Diego State that I considered about for the um, like the final four pick. They're yeah. a good team. They've beaten some good teams already. I'm not really concerned with the last couple losses. Those were tough games. You know, I Mountain West is similar to the Big 12 yeah. in that every game's hard. Yeah. Except- very bottom so it's going to be hard to win on the road exactly I, I will say utah um so i think colorado state has the advantage um they are in probably a a better conference they'll they have a, a win over creighton um although i tend to think that that was a little bit more creighton just not just forgetting how to play basketball almost. Um, Creighton and Arizona both have that ability sometimes. Yeah. And, but I think Utah really showed how good they can be um, a, a night or two ago against UCLA. I know UCLA is not a tournament team. Um, that would be generous to say. But anytime you beat a conference opponent by fifty, that's true. Yeah, you're yeah. I your... think, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> they, uh... I, I know. Yeah, and I, 
Utah has just some head scratching losses on there, but I think I think they are a really good team. And they just they need to get back on track and they definitely they sh- they shouldn't be losing to the Arizona states of the Pac-12. Um I think if they make the tournament they will they will be a tough out. De- yeah. DePaul DePaul wouldn't even take my suggestion of wearing their favorite Philly uh you know fives jersey. <laughs> I was very disappointed last night. I mean they couldn't play defense last night either, let's be honest. I mean Housen hit what five threes in the first half. Yeah, I was wondering, like, well, you know, this would be typical Nova to find a way to lose to DePaul this year. Nope. I was kind of expecting it, to be honest. Yeah. Funny. Um, yeah. So, with that, we'll wrap up. I know you got to get to work. Um, so, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, again, our listens are still just doing great for where we wanted them to be. Um, any suggestions you all have, please mm-hmm. let us know. I mean, we worked in some resume talk just for people who were maybe wanting to get into bracketology a little bit more. So we have plenty of room to like add in whatever you all want us to add in. Um, We'll be back on Tuesday or Wednesday um, with our top 25 discussion. So please make sure you're following. Um, Leave us a review if you feel inclined. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.